Today I want to talk with you a little bit about looking for the finish line. Our anchor passage today is in Philippians. It's Philippians 3, 12 through 16, and it says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. For those of us who are mature, think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you so much for allowing us to be here in your house this morning, Lord. And uh, just be with me this morning as I present your word. Let your words be heard and not mine. And uh, uh, Lord, we just thank you most of all for sending your son to die for us and just all the the amazing blessings you've given us, this church family that you've given us here. Uh, Lord, just watch over us through the rest of this week. Help us to be a shining light for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Saturday, April 11th, 2015. Hayward Field in Eugene, Oregon, the Pepsi Invitational. The event was the men's 3,000-meter steeplechase. A 1.86-mile run comprised of 28 ordinary barriers and seven water jumps, of which the runner must traverse before completing the sprint to the finish line. On this particular day, University of Oregon runner, I'll see if I can pronounce his name, uh, Tanche. Tanche, excuse me, Tanche Pepia began to, that's a strange name, Tanche Pepia began to race in a relaxed position, not really pushing to the front, but setting a solid pace on this windy day in front of his home crowd. His game plan was to pick up the pace in the last 500 meters and pull ahead of the pack. As the last 500 meters began counting down, Pepia felt good. He took a solid lead ahead of the other runners. He felt alone in the lead far ahead of the second-place runners. Not a bad feeling for a runner. As he rounded the final turn, his home crowd began to cheer. All of his training, the sacrifices he had made, the aching muscles, the strict diet, the hours and days on the field were about to pay off. As he got closer to the finish line, rounded the final turn, the roar of the spectators demanded a response. Pepia turned to his home crowd at the University of Oregon and waved for them to take the celebration up a notch. As he turned his attention, not back to the finish line, but to the big screen above, he noticed University of Washington runner Marion Simon gaining on him. Pepia tried to pick up the pace, but it was too late. Simon beat Pepia in the men's 3,000-meter steeplechase on his home turf by one-tenth of a second. Take a look at this. Take my word for it, there's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can. And you know, you see his face, and you know no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. Pepio was not looking for the finish line. He was looking for the approval of the crowd. Simon was looking for the finish line. In an interview after the race, Simon stating, I thought he had me. I thought he was just so far ahead, but I just went through the line and raced. Throughout the New Testament, 
Our lives as Christians are compared to a foot race. As the scriptures are, of course, divinely inspired, I think it's important that we understand these metaphors and are able to apply them to our lives. So today, I want to explore this parallel and land on our understanding of the finish line in particular. But before we get to that, I want to examine the different parts of the race, its participants. And I want to start with recognizing the starting line, followed by understanding why and how we are to run, and end up with recognizing the finish line. So we'll start in the obvious place, the beginning, the starting line. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So I know what you're thinking. This passage talks about the last time, so it must be about the finish line. I'm glad you noticed that, and we'll revisit this passage a little bit later, but I want to focus on the first part of this passage. I think as redeemed sinners, sometimes we get the starting line and the finish line confused. For those that have grown up in church, your parents, family, they've worked towards, prayed for, looked forward to that moment when you realize you're a sinner, lost with no hope of restoration, with a perfect God in need of a sinless Savior to right your wrongs, and you come to that point of repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. For those that maybe didn't grow up in a Christian family, maybe your life was rough. Maybe it was filled with hurt and pain and disappointment, and you may have been carrying an unbearable burden only to be introduced to the one whose yoke is easy and burden is light. I grew up in church. I was saved when I was 10 years old. I remember what it felt like, the uneasiness, the conviction, the restless sleep before I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I also remember the extreme joy, relief of conviction, and elation I felt when Jesus saved my soul. I wanted to tell everyone. I didn't care that it was almost midnight. If I was close to you, you were getting a phone call. So I was very, very excited, and rightfully so. Luke 15.10 tells us there is joy before the angels over one sinner who repents. I want to go back briefly to our, our last, our last uh, verse in our anchor passage. Verse 16 of our anchor passage says to hold true to what we have attained. This is past tense and refers to our salvation. Our salvation is not something we work for. It's already been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We accept that gift, and it becomes ours because it was first his. The first part of the passage we just read refers to a living hope. Hope is something that we look forward to, something that hasn't happened yet. We look forward to it. It's, and living implies action, implies breath, implies movement. Not the end of the line, not the final resting place. Salvation is not the end of our journey with Christ. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 15 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we join the race. 
We have not only joined this crazy, amazing voyage with Christ, but we joined the land of the living. We were dead in our sins, but we are now alive in Christ. Alive. We have a living hope in our Savior. Salvation is not our finish line. Salvation is our starting line. And the sooner we recognize that, the better off we'll be. Now that we've joined the race, we are at the starting line. Now what? Why should we run? How should we run? What are the marks of a good runner? 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, for, this, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We are called to run this race of faith because of Christ's example. 1 John 4, 19 says we love because, his, because he first loved us. He came to this earth, lived a sinless life, suffered and died, and bore our sins on the cruel cross so we could be reconciled with our creator. He blazed the trail for us to follow. Our race is a response to his grace. Our race is a response to his grace. Titus 3 says, Remind them to be submissive to, submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out in us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. We don't race to obtain salvation. We could never win that race. We race because he saved us. Again, past tense. This is that hold true to what we have attained part that we just talked about. Grace is the why behind any runner in the Christian faith. So how should we run? Is there a proper technique, a certain stride, a certain way we should hold our hands? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Generally speaking, we should run to please God. In the Greek, the phrase rightly handling, or in some translations, rightly dividing, literally means to make straight or smooth to handle aright. In other words, we should know where we, we are headed and get moving, avoiding detours and distractions along the way. Our actions, words, and thoughts should be founded in the word and executed in a manner that is pleasing to God. We should leave no room for embarrassment or regret. We should also run with endurance, again, looking to Christ as our example. 
Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance to the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ endured the cross on our behalf. He found joy, joy in perfecting our faith. He found joy in being beaten, tortured, and hung on a cross to die. He knew that's the only way that we could get with him to the finish line. That is how much he loves us. Verse 12 through 15 goes on to say, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without, excuse me, holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. I used to run on a regular basis. By regular basis, I mean three to four times a week. I know you're thinking, this dude hasn't ran anywhere but to the refrigerator. Um, that's, that's another story for another time. I used to take up less real estate on the pew, uh, but maybe, uh, maybe we'll address that at another time. So when I was running, when I was running, I remember the pain. I remember the pain. The first thing that started hurting for me was typically my calves. My calves started burning, then my quads and my hamstrings started burning, and my lungs started burning. I basically felt like I was on fire. And uh, as I ran, I remember thinking, why am I doing this? This is awful. But I kept going. I kept going. Some days were harder than others. Some miles felt longer than others, but I still kept going. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There was one of three reasons why I continued to run, even though the overall unpleasantness of it all. Either I had someone running with me that was encouraging me. They may have been quicker than I was, but I didn't want to let them down, so I stuck with it. Um, I had seen the benefits of my healthier habits, so I did want to continue to reap those benefits. Or three, I was preparing for a race or an event that I had already signed up for. I knew I had to run a race. I knew I had a finish line to get to. I figured I might as well be prepared. In my preparation, I even started taking supplements. I drank protein shakes and ate those nasty energy bars. Uh, super gross. Um, I even uh, tried the thirst-quenching gum for the longer runs. That was disgusting as well, just for the record. Um, you know someone is really getting serious when you see them walking out of that nutrition store with all these unpronounceable substances, all designed to enhance athletic performance. I find it very interesting that Peter used the same concept in relation to our faith. 
2 Peter 1, 3 through 11 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Can you imagine someone walking out of the nutrition store with that many supplements? That's quite a list, right? The Greek word for supplements here is to bring in or to supply besides. Peter is not telling us these actions save us. He is saying that they add to our faith, they enhance it. They allow us to be a more effective runner. They keep us from being unfruitful. Remember that hold true to what we attained part we talked about earlier. Peter is telling us if we do not supplement our faith in these ways, we are forgetting, not losing, but forgetting the eternal forgiveness we have received in Christ. Peter is imploring us to prove ourselves as runners. Paul tells us in Romans 12, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Quite another list. But earlier in this chapter, Paul asked the church at Rome to submit themselves as living sacrifices. Then he proceeds to tell them all the marks of a true follower of Christ. The marks of a true runner are not found in church attendance, although that is important. And you will see a true runner of the faith in church way more often than they aren't. The marks of a true runner are not found in appearances, although there is merit to how you present yourself to others, especially the lost. The marks of a true runner are all variations of love, real love. 1 John 4, 7 through 12 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not what, 
not what was, excuse me, <clears throat> not that we have loved God, but love, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We run for Jesus, plain and simple. Our efforts, our performance, our endurance is all an outpouring of the love of Christ that is within us. That love is not something we produce on our own, but rather a reflection of the gospel. So salvation is the starting line, and we are to run the race with endurance down a straight path with a continuous outpouring of love. Where is the finish line? Where is the finish line? Let's revisit that passage from before. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. You see, our salvation is secure. The blood of Christ paid that price once and for all, but we don't cash in on it until the end. That's why Paul refers numerous times in his writing to those of us who are being saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is that living hope that we've been talking about. Our finish line is with our Savior. We just need to keep running until we get there. 1 Peter 2.11 and 12 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, you may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We were only here for a short time. In James, it says it's like a vapor. This is not our home. We must have our sights set on eternity. While we are here, every part of our race should point to Christ. It should bring honor and glory to him. When people see us running, they shouldn't wonder where we're going. They shouldn't wonder where our finish line is. You ever see somebody staring at something and you're just compelled to stare at that thing too and find out what it is? So when I was in college at MBSF, we, had, uh, we did a video scavenger hunt. Right? And one of, the, one of the tasks in that video scavenger hunt was to cause a group of people to look in the same direction without telling them to, right? So my friends and my team, we whipped into a gas station, all hopped out of the vehicle and did this and looked up in the sky. What do you think happened? Some of you probably just looked up in the sky when I did that. So people, from the ga- people were coming out of the gas station wondering what we were looking at. They were all wanting to know what we were staring at, what we were looking towards, Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says in Acts 20, 
22 through 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I can finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Our eyes should be fixed on glory, fixed in such a way that others wonder what we're staring at. Our focus on the finish line should testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In Timothy, Paul, Timothy 4, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. They have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is talking about keeping his eye on the prize. He is imploring the church to keep running the race, set your sights on the finish line, and run a race that is worthy of your calling. Remember our runner from Oregon? That's the opposite of what Paul said to do. Our finish line is in heaven. Remember our passage passage earlier about supplements? Later on in that passage, Peter goes on to say in verse 11, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our finish line is in an eternal home with our Savior. It was his plan all along. John 14, 3 says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is praying for us in John 17, 24, and says, Father, I desire that you, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I don't know how our society got so busy. Technology is supposed to make things easier and more efficient, and you'd think we'd have a lot more free time. But somehow that freed up time has been replaced with more stuff. I think we all feel like we're running a race at times, especially if you have children. It can feel like you're running not just a marathon, but a megathon. I don't know if that's a real thing, but it sounds long and very entire, tiring and, uh, and requires a lot of uh, endurance. So every once in a while, you may get a four to six hour nap before hitting the road again in the midst of the chaos of every day, the career, getting the kids to school, sports, dance, whatever other recreational activities may be going on, trying to actually set aside some time to spend with your family, uh, squeezing in a few hours of sleep. Are we running towards the right finish line? Are we running towards the right finish line? Are we really even looking for it? Or are we too focused on the distractions around us? Are we enamored with the hometown crowd and their praise, even though this isn't our home? Let's go back to our anchor text one last time. Philippians 3, 12 through 16 says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press forward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Maybe you haven't made it to the starting line yet. 
I'd like to show you how to sign up for the race. See, the gospel has made your registration fee free. It's paid for. It's paid for. All you have to do is sign up. Maybe you've already joined the race and you're just kind of camping out at the starting line. It's time to run that race as a response to the grace that God has given us. Let's pray.